Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for First Corinthians. Thank you for chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, which we're about to start today. Thank you for all the lessons we've learned about um, who we are, about who the church is, about the gifts you've given the body. Thank you for all we've learned. Thank you for allowing your word to shape our views, to shape our our the way we see reality, the way we see one another, the way we see the gifts you've given us. I pray that even as we take a step further today, that there is clarity. I pray that there is um, revelation. I pray that our hearts are able to receive and understand the truths that will be shared. And I pray that our lives would reflect all that we've come to learn, even as we grow to be able to teach others in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> I am putting private message on the public chat. <laughs> But hi, everyone. Um, good to see you all. Um, as usual, you're welcome to journey through the epistles. Um, where we, for the past one plus years, yeah, not years, have gone through verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, through the epistles based on the argument that a believer who can properly understand the epistles will by and large have a very, very good understanding of the Christian experience both in theology and in practice and i'm sure everyone that has been a part of this journey through galatians ephesians colossians philippians hebrews james first peter first and second john um will agree that by and large the understanding of christianity has been improved so um so far we're just continuing where we left off last year we're starting or we are currently in the book of first corinthians one of the longer books and probably one of the most practical actually because it directly relates to behavioral issues in the church however like i said Um, or like I've always said, that as a believer, be careful of that division between theology and practice. Where you say, oh, this is just theology, or this is just practical Christianity. Because in the mind of Paul, in the mind of the apostles, and in the mind of God, practice is first and foremost informed from theology. So if, if your theology is wrong, your Christian experience will be wrong. And so don't downplay the teaching of theology. But then also, um, if your theology is correct and you meditate and apply yourself to it, then the Christian practice will be correct. And so that's why we're going to see all through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with behavioral or what you might call practical issues in the church. Nevertheless, his approach is always first and foremost theological. If it's that, oh, there's sexual immorality, he appeals to a theological reason for why that. It doesn't just say, oh, it's not good to sleep with your brother's wife or your father's wife. He appeals to a theological reason. The, the, the gifts of the spirit are being abused. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. He teaches them theology and then they are able to apply it practically. So as a believer, don't put the cart before the horse, right? It's not a waste of time 
to understand, to, to spend time building your, your, your view on God, your view on Christianity, because that is what will inform the practice of your faith, right? So don't put one, don't, don't, um, don't divide one or the other. Don't, don't be like, oh, all this theology there is not for me. Just tell me what to do. Don't be that Christian, right? Um, very, very, very important. So going right into it, I think today, I say that sometimes, but I think today I mean it, that today might be one of the shorter teachings because I just want us to end chapter four and not start chapter five, which is the second issue in the body, sexual immorality. So we're still on the topic of division in the church. Again, if, you're not, if you've not listened to all we've talked about so far, I appeal to you to listen to part one to four. Um, you're like, ah, what have we been talking about for the past six hours? Go and listen, and then you will know what we've been talking about. But um, <laughs> um, so far, we're on the very first issue in the church in Corinth, which is church division over spiritual leaders. And we've said a lot about this, and so I will hold myself back from repeating a lot of things I have said consistently over the past couple of weeks. I appeal to everyone listening to this, whether here or over the podcast, to go back and catch up, right? But what we primarily said was that the church was divided over leaders for reasons that were not theological, for reasons that were not scriptural, right? If anything, it would be at human displays of eloquence or wisdom or any other flimsy reason that that made no sense. And last week was really the heart of Paul's mind concerning the issue. If you've not listened to last week's teaching, please do. Because in that teaching, Paul puts in clear perspective how every believer ought to look at ministry gifts and the church. And the highlight of that was that realize that they are exactly that. They are gifts from God to the body. Um, the, the, the verse that the verse that we highlighted was 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. It says, Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And we talked a lot about appreciating your gifts, recognizing them. But of course, recognizing that the same way God gives you a ministry gift is the same way God has given this brother a ministry gift and nothing about the fact that you have different ministry gifts makes any of you better than the other again the underlying assumption here is that everyone is teaching the correct thing right because once um the the, the message starts to differ then everything changes if you you attend a local church that doesn't emphasize the supremacy and the christocentricity of scripture then i can say for a fact that we're in our christian experience we will be different not as a matter of pride because you're not but because you're not being properly fed that's a different issue altogether paul is comparing himself and apollos both um sound amazing teachers of the word of god and so whatever reason you have to divide between paul and apollos it cannot be spiritual it would be some mere personal or human opinion of them that in the sight of God means next to nothing. And so Paul is saying, how how can you now start to say, oh, we're for this, we're for that? 
it shows that you you don't understand how the church works you don't understand how god works you don't understand who spiritual gifts are and you're just carnal so we talked a lot a lot of things we said a lot of things last week um i'm just trying to summarize and so we're heading into chapter four um this week and by god's grace i i trust we'll be able to wrap it all up um that's chapter four just chapter four <laughs> first corinthians still has we have many more months to go but chapter four and so that's all that paul has talked about and that's what we're coming into the chapter with so with that said get your notes get your writing materials of course your bible should be open today however i would be switching between the nkjv and the nlt simply because there are a few things i want to highlight that the nlt will make my job very very easy right um if i read just from the nkjv i mean it to be clear but i might have to do a lot more plowing through so just bear that in mind i might be switching in a couple verses but for now as always we're starting with the nkjv all right okay your bibles first corinthians 4 verse 1 so with everything paul has said leading up till now what does he say he says let a man so consider us as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god with everything he said last week he says what's the conclusion everyone should consider us the word consider is a word that we know already logitomai to take account to 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 take an inventory of to reckon something to be true right everyone should look at us as what as servants servants the word servant there it means what servant <laughs> It means it's a different word from minister last week, right? That we use, we said diagnose and whatnot. But it means as servants or assistants of, of, of Christ. And what? Stewards. I love that word for ministry. It's the word or economos in the Greek. And it means what? A manager, an overseer, usually, or a treasurer. Someone that the, the, the resources of someone else has been put in your hands. And what is your job? You're simply to oversee you're simply to regulate its distribution it's not yours right it's not yours you are not the owner you are simply a steward and what does a steward mean what does it mean to be so you will give account if the city places a million dollars in your hand to help develop the city first of all it's people's money it's tax right second of all you at least in a good society maybe not in I will not cast any country on this podcast so i will i will not say the, i will not say the name that comes to my mind but in a good society you should give account you you started the year with a budget of a million dollars what did you you were minister of transportation what have you done that's what it means to be a steward right and that's what paul says we are stewards ministers of the gospel right are stewards of the mysteries of god of course I don't have to talk about mysteries of God anymore. I've explained that in 1 Corinthians 2. Things that were once silent or quiet, right, in the Old Testament, but have been clearly revealed in the gospel, in Jesus. It says that we are stewards of the gospel. We are stewards of the plans and purposes of God through Christ Jesus, right? So God committed the communication of the revelation of Christ into our hands. Our job is to be 
faithful with that information. Our job is to faithfully teach, faithfully steward the lives of others. Verse 2, same line of thought. It says, moreover, if indeed we are stewards, it is required in stewards that one be found, what, successful? It is required in stewards that one be found popular. It is required in stewards that one be found um, liked by men. It is required in stewards that one be found interesting to listen to. <laughs> no, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. 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 Faithful to who? Faithful to the one who committed the resources to your care. Faithful to the one who called you to that work. Right? If you're picking someone to manage your finances, you don't really care. Well, I mean, if you're thinking properly, you're not so bothered about how the person looks. You're not bothered about whether the person has H factor or not. Your biggest concern before you put your life savings in the hands of a financial investor is, will he make the most of my money? Right? That's the biggest thing that comes to your mind. When the city is trying to appoint a treasurer, they are not really saying, oh, um, did he, we don't, we don't like this school, so we're not going to use him. Or he supports this football club, we're not going to select him. No. Is he able to do the job we need him to do? Will he manage our resources well? Will he steal from the funds? Will he put the funds to good use? And so whenever stewards are being selected, there is only one criteria that they are being, or there's one big criteria. Let me say only one, but there are, there's one big criteria every minister of the gospel is evaluated by or evaluated on. And it's what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to all that has been committed to your care. First of all, faithfulness to the message. Faithfulness to the message. Will you stick to the, to, to the truths of the gospel regardless of how unpopular or how difficult it is to stand for Christ? Will you stick to, 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 to preserving the message of the gospel, faithfulness to the people that God has committed to your care. Will you take care of them? Paul speaking to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. He didn't say feed your sheep. He said feed, they are my sheep. I simply employed you as a shepherd to take care of them on my behalf. Faithfulness would include taking care of every life God has placed under you. Right? Whether you are a pastor, whether you are a discipler, you have people that you disciple in your local church or otherwise, whatever the Lord has committed to your care, be faithful. Be faithful with the resources. And by resources now, I mean the message, the platforms, all of that. Be faithful. Be faithful. Put to good use everything he has placed in your hands. Do all he has asked you to do all he has asked you to do but what does that mean then if faithfulness is the criteria to which we are judged faithfulness to the work by the one who called us then the opinions of men become irrelevant <laughs> it becomes very relevant because number one they're not the ones that called you 
Number two, they are not the ones that know exactly what you were called to do. And that's why he goes on in verse three. It says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. He's talking about ministry that I don't really care. <laughs> that's pretty much what he's saying. I don't really care what your evaluation of me, Paul speaking, is. I don't really care even what the world, whether you take me to court and say, oh, you know, by our legal system, this and this is wrong. Their ministry says, I really don't care. In fact, it says, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> so I don't even use my own standards to measure. I don't even use my own standards to measure um, whether I'm in the right or I'm in the wrong. It says, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. And what is he saying there? He's simply saying that, yes, if I want to evaluate by my own standards, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I think I'm faithful. I think I'm doing all God has, has asked me to do. He says, yet, even in this, <laughs> I'm not justified, right? Because I approve of myself doesn't exactly mean I'm in the right. He says, the one who judges me is the Lord. And here we see such a high standard for ministry where no minister should ever live for the approval of men. Not only that, you can't even live for your own approval. It is God who called you. It is God who, who, who would judge you faithful or not. And when we talk about this, and I know, yes, this has this will resonate more with people that might be involved in more, um, should I say, direct expressions even, even that is a poor choice, choice of words of ministry let's say teaching and preaching but for every believer the truth is you have a ministry what is ministry service god has called you to serve in one way or the other evaluate yourself what exactly are you doing it for if you are if your job let's say even if it's administrative in nature who exactly are you are you living or serving for is it for the approval of men is it to look good is it to feel good about yourself Paul says even that is irrelevant you're going to stand before God and God is going to say I put you here to do this as a steward I committed this to your hands how have you done how have you done with it? If God has placed three people, in fact, let's say you're an elder sibling and God has placed your younger siblings in your hands or in your care to disciple and help them grow, God is going to ask you, what did you do with that? Right? As a parent, your children, God is going to ask you, what did you do? What did you do with it? Right? If God has even... And so, for instance, I, I remember just even in school and in, in being privileged to like lead certain things and maybe call people to help with different stuff. And let's say for some reason or the other, they're not able to do it and or they don't do it well or whatnot. And in their minds, all they feel is like, oh, they should probably just apologize. You know, I had a busy week and just apologize and move on. And while I, I'm not going to be offended, right? I'm not going to be like, ah, for, um, fortunately or unfortunately, Christian service is not paid, right? So the pastor cannot really do anything. He can't sack you. <laughs> you could volunteered. But anyone who lives with that kind of mindset does not understand ministry because beyond the person you're accountable to physically, you're accountable to God. 
even in the littlest things. And so, for instance, in Acts 6, when they appointed deacons to simply oversee the distribution of food, you have to be faithful. You have to be faithful. Because you're going to give accounts. You're going to give accounts. So I want us to live with that view of ministry that beyond man, beyond the people that, beyond my pastor, beyond my leader, beyond myself, I am going to give account to God about everything he has committed to my care. Everything he has called me to serve in, I will give account to God. And so that informs the way we then do it. I do it well. And I do it for his approval alone. I don't do a shoddy job, but not because um, it's beyond them seeing and say, oh, wow. No, it's for God. It's for God. It's for the sake of the lives that he has committed to my care. So if I was a pastor now and I was talking to my workers, this would be a good time to say, for those of you that come late to workers' meetings, <laughs> for those of you that miss these things, for those of you that just giving last notice, our pastor, I'm not going to church today. And you were, we needed you. You're going to give account to God. You're going to give account to God. And I hope you are someone in your mind who think God understands because you will find out when you stand before God whether he understood or not. Amen. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Live with that mindset that because we can even extend this beyond ministry. The truth is, whatever you steward, you are accountable to the owner. If I borrow you my guitar and I say, oh, you just take care of it. Or if I give you my dog or something, I say, I'm traveling for the weekend. When I come back, I expect something. Why? Because you are a steward. You will give account. And so in every area of your life that you have received something. So the question then is, is there any area of your life you haven't actually received something? So now I'm extending this. I've interpreted it and I'm applying it to every aspect of our lives. Stewardship is such, this is I'll give you the dog. Stewardship is such a big part of our Christian experience, a very crucial Christian doctrine. Why? Because even beyond ministry, every aspect of our lives, we are simply stewards. The Christian lives with the realization that even my finances, God gave me. What does that mean? In the way I spend my money, I should realize that I would give accounts. And so in my choices, if all I spend my money on is entertainment and, and, and merchandise, and um, if I broke now my business, if that's all, <laughs> you will realize that it's not your business. <laughs> when you stand before God, you realize that how you spent your money was his business. Who buy it? Angel, it's me and you. <laughs> Maybe that's even what I'm going to order today because the son of man cannot cook. It doesn't have to say I used to cook before. But my food has not been delivered yet, so I have to order. Anyways, um, but yes, right? You are going to give an account. So even in your finances, live with that realization. One of the things I, I try to consciously do more and more now, now that I'm on a salary, right? And I'm not living from hand to mouth, is I receive a pay and I'm like, God... Yes, I have a budget, but help me to spend this money the way you want me to. Because it's yours. I'm just a steward. It's not my money per se, even though it's mine, but it's yours. Is there anyone you want me to give something to? Is there any way 
even if it has to change my budget, which is not easy, <laughs> right? Especially if you're a planner, if you change my budget, I'll be like, God, what are you doing? But um, it's yours. Even in the budget, let it reflect the fact that you are you are you are a steward of someone else's resource. And so, the way you spend as a steward, the way you use the resources in your hands should reflect the interest of the one who put you there. So if I give, for instance, my dog to Tammy, even though she won't give me back, but if I give my dog to Tammy for a weekend, she's not she's not supposed to take care of the dog the way she feels dogs should be taken care of. No, she should take care of my dog the way I take care of it because it's my dog, right? If I say, oh, I feed it at this time, I take it out at this time, it goes to bed at this time, that's what she should abide by, regardless of whether she has a dog or not, or she feels she knows better in dog training than I do. If I put my my child, right, with goodness for the weekend, I say, please don't give them any sweets. Please make sure they are in bed by eight. As a steward, you serve the interest of the person who puts you there. Your, your, your desires, your thoughts on how it really is irrelevant. You are simply a steward. <laughs> That's why my children will not stay with you. I said, Dad, tell me, don't, don't collect anything she gives you. You are simply a steward. You shepherd the interests of the one who put you there. And so whether it's finances, I don't mind that, but you can give them a go. Whether it's finances, they say, be crying. I don't want to go to Kudnes' house. <laughs> whether it's finances, you reflect the interest of the one who put you there or who gave those resources to you. Even your life, right? The air you breathe, the very air you breathe, the fact that you can sleep and wake up, you are a steward of life. You don't own the life you have. And so it's not out of place. It's not as if when you become a Christian, God is asking anything special when he says, give yourself to him. He already owns you. Even the unbeliever, the unbeliever is just living in rebellion. You're just the one that has received the spirit and has the ability to live for him. It's not, there is nothing we give back to God that we did not receive in the first place, even our lives, right? And that's the whole idea of I give my life to Christ. Yes, you are giving it to him in service, but he owned it in the first place. You are simply a steward. And so the way you live your life should reflect the fact that you are owned. Your life should reflect the interest of the one who gave you air to breathe. And so where, how you spend your time, you're a steward of your time. A lot of us as Christians, we think, and I, I said that last time, that just because you don't do wrong things, you think all is fine. I, I have said it. I will keep on saying it. Anyone who every weekday, all they do as soon as they get back from work is binge Netflix till they go to bed. You will give account when you stand before God because you are a terrible steward of your time. Terrible. <laughs> right and it's not just any any other i mean you can look at your life you can look at what your time goes into reflect on your priorities and say am i being a good steward of my life am i being a good steward of my life i can drag i can drag it even further and start to talk about how you eat how you take care of your body why because it's stewardship as well <laughs> right it's all part of it and it changes everything you start to realize that you are a manager of resources and so in everything in your physical health when i drag my sister now to sleep and and sleep well eat well take care of your health 
is no more because before there were other reasons but even the idea of staying healthy to maintain this body is part of stewardship it's part of it right it's part of it take care of the vessel that god has given you <laughs> amen i will choose no i can drive but i will choose no i will respect everyone and assume we are all good stewards and we eat well we sleep well we drink plenty of water we live our lives knowing that you know what god gave me this body i will take care of it is a lie <laughs> but think we live with that mindset even in the little things even in the little things even in the little things in your time in your finances with your words with your words you will give account you will give account right and that's why you can start to see why Paul Paul would talk about things like that whether we eat or we drink do it all for the glory of God you live as a steward where every single aspect of your life you realize that God it is it is a gift and so if it is a gift or if it's something that has been put under my care then all i do is i manage it and the way i manage it should reflect the interests of the one who put me there in ministry in conduct in resources finances time health every aspect of my life amen amen and amen that's just a quick aside on stewardship right verse 5 it says therefore judge nothing before the time until the lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart then each one's praise will come from god and going back to the context of ministry and the carnal corinthians what is he simply saying that therefore as pertaining to ministry gifts as pertaining to to these people in the church be careful <laughs> be careful how you judge especially ministers whether positive or negative why because at the end of the day god is the only one who sees the motives god is the only one who really knows what they were asked to do and so god is the only one that can judge what is this not saying it's not saying that you can't recognize bad actions and speak against them We're going to see that in the very next verse. That's not what he's talking about. Read in context. A lot of times we read passages about judging and we just we just generalize or or ignore altogether. Let's read what he's saying. He's also not saying you can't recognize good good actions and acknowledge and appreciate and celebrate what you see to be good in your ministry gifts. That's not what he's saying. But what he's simply saying is that when you are passing judgment on the entirety of their person and their ministry be careful be careful whatever you say about a believer whatever you say about a minister always remember that God is the one who truly knows where they are standing what they are up to the why they do what they do and what he actually called them to do and so on one hand um on one hand right even in the negative i i i took this out from a commentary i can't remember it is one of the leading lessons of christianity is that we are careful not to pass a harsh opinion on the conduct of any man since there are so many things that go to make up his character that we cannot know 
and so many secret failings and motives which are all concealed from us. Hi, Bukunwa, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Um, sorry, I missed that. Once I start like this, I, I it's hard to keep up with the comments. But um, yes, 1 Corinthians, thank you, comment section. I appreciate you all. But yes, it says, judge nothing before the time. Don't forget that these people had already started to elevate ministers, oh, Paul, Apollos, Peter, and they also had other teachers who Paul has already said, some are building with hay, some are building with straw. People that are not building on the foundations of Christ. And Paul says, judge nothing before the time. Every believer should be circumspect in the way they judge. Be careful because there's so much behind the scenes that you do not know that only the one who called them to the work, right? Again, going back to the child analogy, if I leave my child with Tammy and I gave all those instructions, the child might have a good time. It doesn't mean Tammy did everything I asked Tammy to do to my children. And I say, ah, Auntie Tammy is such an amazing auntie. But at the end of the world, she doing? She gave them sweets. She allowed them to watch, stay up late watching movies. She, she took them out. She spoiled them as she probably would, right? I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy with her. My children would love Auntie Tammy. But I'll be like, if I knew what she did over that weekend, they would never go to her house again, right? It's the same idea. It's the same idea. Only the one who called, only the one who called, right, will be able to make a complete judgment on the work that has been done. And so while based on the standard of the work, um, of the word, we can evaluate and say, this is right, this is wrong. We can commend, we can correct, we can appreciate, we can avoid, whether it's ministers or believers, right? We can use the word as a guide, but be careful. Be careful when you start to, to, to make complete judgments on a person's life and ministry. There's so much you don't know. There's so much you don't know, right? You don't know what God has asked you to do. You don't know if Johnny Jacob is, I did it because I want to be popular. You don't know, <laughs> right? You don't know. I hope to God I didn't. In fact, I'm almost certain I did. God forbid. But you don't know, right? And, you can, and while, yes, the teaching of God will bless you, be careful when you start to judge me in quotes because I can stand before God and God will say everything you did, you did out of pride. God forbid, but it's possible. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know, all right? And that's what he's saying. Be careful when you judge. It says it is God that will bring to light the hidden things and the, and the counsels of their hearts and each one's praise will come from God. Again, why is he saying all this? so that you are able to view ministers of the gospel through the lenses of God's word, through the lenses of God alone, that you're able to rid yourself of all these standards that the world tends to use to evaluate their leaders and people they look up to. The church doesn't work that way. The church doesn't work that way. Amen. Um, it says, where am I? Yes. So that therefore means as a, as a minister, be very careful. Be very careful. I, I, I once heard a quote, I can't remember where it says, the praises of men at best should be like chewing gum. Yes, you can chew it for a while, but always make sure you spit it out. It shouldn't go inside you. Never internalize as a minister of the gospel, especially, right? Generally in life, right? But especially as a minister, never internalize the praises of men. Never because they are not the ones that called you. 
many times they don't know what you are supposed to be doing. And so every time like, hey, man of God, hey, there's never been like you before. Hey, as you spoke, my heart burned with fire. I'm like, yes, I am doing what God has asked me to do. Be very careful. <laughs> While it is good, like I said, to celebrate anything you see that appears to be in line with the word of God. All I'm saying is, let there be a God real in your heart that only the Lord can make a proper evaluation of what is wrong or right. Amen. Be very careful. Jesus, Jesus was called and sent to die for the world. That was his ministry. At many points, they said, come, let's make him king. The, the city was shouting his praises. Hey, Moses has come back. It is time. Let us make him king. He ran away. <laughs> he ran away. Because while, yes, they were celebrating him, their praises would have led him out of the will of God. Again, speaking to even his disciples, you think, ah, my guys, they are all fellow ministers now. They will judge rightly. He said, oh, I have to go and die. Peter said, God forbid. You will not die, but live to declare the word of the Lord in the land of the living. <laughs> you will see your children and your children to a ripe old age of 120. And Jesus had to say what? get thee behind me even in his innermost circle the praises and the opinions of men were still leading him away from the will of god amen paul was supposed to go to jerusalem he said ah paul you will die don't go ah he said no i've already given myself this is what the spirit of god is leading me to do in the outside, people will be like, ah, but Paul, you can still go to many more Gentile nations. There's still room for the ministry to spread. Why are you doing this, Paul? But he knew who called him and he knew how to discern the voice of God above the voices of men. Same thing, I think, is it Acts 16? He was meant to go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit said, What? No. He was supposed to go to Phrygia. The Holy Spirit said, No. If he went there, Will people have been blessed and saved? Yes. Will they say, wow, thank God for Paul? They will. And they are right in doing so. Right? Don't get my point. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't. I've said it over and over. So I hope no one thinks that you can celebrate the good you see. But none of them would have ever known unless by the spirit that Paul. Yes, so you've done a good work here for the past one year in Bithynia. And the church is growing. But this is not where God sent you. They might not know. In their eyes, Paul would just be an amazing gift from God that has come to show them the way to the gospel. And that is valid, right? Because that's what he has done. But when he stands before God, God will be like, I didn't send you to Bithynia, oh God. I didn't send you to free. You were meant to go to Macedonia. What? Why? Why did you go there? Do you get my point? So while there's, you can see certain things and you can thank God, appreciate those, but be very careful because there's only so much you can see. There's only so much you can see. There's only so much. You can't see the hearts of men. You were not there when God sent people on assignments. You were not there. So be very careful. Be very careful. Be very careful. Amen. All right, cool. <laughs> I have dampened your excitement. That's good. That's good. All right, it says, <laughs> um, verse 6. Now I want to switch to the NLT. I want to switch for a few verses. 
So turn your Bible, so turn NLT, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Um, don't worry, I've compared both and you will not lose the message. Trust me. <laughs> it says, dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. Right, because there are actually many other teachers that they are camping around, but Paul just used the people he knew, so that they, nobody would would um, <laughs> no one would be angry. You say parallel Bible. Ah, why you call my name? Are you are you now saying? Do you mean that I'm all of that? He says I've only used Apollos and myself to illustrate all I've been saying about ministers, about false ministers, about faithfulness, all of this. He says. I've used Apollos and myself so that you would have an idea. If it applies to me and Apollos, then it applies to every other teacher. That's all he's saying. It says, if you pay attention to all I have quoted from the scriptures, it says, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of others. The NKJV says that you may learn, I shouldn't have switched yet, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. You may learn in us by my example, you will learn not to evaluate beyond what is written, beyond what the scriptures say, beyond what you can see in the word of God. Right? Let's go on. It says, verse 7, For what gives you the right to make such a judgment, to place ministers into categories and whatnot? It says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it was not a gift? We talked about that last week, right? That whether Paul, whether Apollos, they are all yours. God gave them as gifts to your church. So why do you act as if it wasn't a gift? If you realize that it was really a gift, you won't be making comparisons because they're not yours. They're gifts, right? If you realize that you didn't, you are not any wiser, any better by identifying with one minister above the other, but rather it's who God sends to you, then you will not make such silly comparisons, right? Ah, have you met? My pastor is the better pastor any pastor I've ever met. <laughs> That's a child talking. That's a carnal believer talking, right? It says, you think you already have everything you need. And I, I want us to pay attention. I want to ask a quick, I'll just ask a, a, a small test question. So tear out a sheet of paper, pay attention. And then I would ask my question and then we would look through the verses. It says, you think you already have everything you need. Ah, NLT will give the answer. I shouldn't have reported myself. <laughs> ah, let me read the NKJV first because it's closer to the, the NLT has already and it has, it has interpreted it. And so it gives the answer. NKJV verse 8. You're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign so that I might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. 
So is Paul really saying that they are actually wise? Is he saying that they are actually strong? What is he doing there? Is he saying that they are actually full? Is he saying that they are actually rich? Is he saying that they are actually reigning? What is he doing there? What is he doing? What is he doing? What is he doing? Put your thoughts in the comment section. <laughs> What is he doing? I mean, yeah, look through those verses, verse 8 to verse verse 13. What is he doing? Are they wise? Are they already full? Are they Are they um Are they what else? Are they strong? What is he doing? What's he doing? He wants to try. He wants to try. They're, he's saying that they're full of themselves, basically. Yes, yes, yes. Good. Yes, that's true. Um, Ibukun also said he's being sarcastic. That's exactly what is going on here. Um, and the NLT got it right. It says you think, right? Like Mary Carmen said, you think. That's how you evaluate yourselves. That what? Oh, we are full. We have. We have these people. Oh, we already have. um we are, we are rich we have, we we've, we've received from god we are this we are bad guys right we we know the word we have these amazing teachers and what not and i love what paul does and we're going to take a quick look at that because there's a lot we can still learn even though paul did not start any of our churches but there's a lot we can learn from what he's saying number one he's being sarcastic right he already just said why do you boast as if you had not received it whether it's the ministry gifts whether it's God's working in your church why do you boast as though it's something that you earned as though because you are such good people that's why you have such good teachers or or things like that it says in your heads you assume oh you're already so full you have all you need you're so rich right you've reigned as kings without us and he says something that i wish you guys were already reigning because If you guys the church you already reigning then we as apostles will be reigning with you meaning that your experiences as a church and our experiences as apostles should not be that different if we were really on the same page do you see that he says he now goes on to talk about the suffering of an apostle so many times we see Paul and all we see is oh the the miracles the scriptures he wrote we usually never see and even though Paul makes it clear all the time but we in our heads we try to brush over the suffering They're like god i want to be like the apostles i want to be like the early church we say that a lot right i say that a lot right i want to i want to see that same display of power i want to see that same impact of the gospel but you can't have one without the other it's mischievous to want to get the the results of 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 success in a man's life without wanting to get the sacrifice and the labor that has gone into making him who he is it's very mischievous you say you want to swim like michael phelps you don't want to put in the hours he has put into his training you want to shoot like curry you don't want to put in you are you are you are a criminal <laughs> they should arrest you say oh, i want to i want to teach like a like a student like i i want to know the word You don't want to discipline yourself to spend time studying and praying. 
be very careful <laughs> very careful and that's exactly what he's kind of alluding to you look at paul and look at look at all that went into the apostle paul beyond the miracles beyond the visions beyond the revelation beyond the impact he says what i think that god has displayed us as apostles as men condemned to die <laughs> it says we have become a spectacle to the world even angels and men both the spiritual and the physical realm they look at us as apostles as people that have been handed over to death and indeed you look at the 12 disciples pretty much every single one of them at least from church tradition apart from John and it's not as if he didn't suffer were killed it says we are fools for Christ's sake i will still get back to the you are wise it says we are dishonored we are weak it says we hunger and thirst we go without food we are poorly clothed we are beaten we are homeless we labor with our own hands we are insulted we are persecuted we are defamed it says we've been made the filth of the world let's go to the nlc <laughs> it says you think you have everything you need you think you're already rich you think you've already begun to reign in god's kingdom without us i wish we were reigning so that we'll be with you but it says instead i sometimes think that god has put us on, as apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade condemned to die in verse 10 our dedication to christ makes us look like fools but you claim to be so wise we are weak you are so powerful your honor your honor we are ridiculed it says even now we go hungry and thirsty we don't have enough clothes to keep warm we are often beaten and we have no home we work really with our own hands to earn our living we bless those who curse us we are patient with those who abuse us we appeal gently even when evil things are said about us we are treated like the world's garbage like everyone's trash right up to the present moment this is the life of an apostle <laughs> do you still want to be one <laughs> right and what he is pretty much saying on one hand right i want us to and if you've been listening to me before you know that i've talked about this a lot i i i i have warned against any view of christianity that evades suffering it's not it's not christianity it's not christianity it's a maybe a wishy-washy modern day celebrity kind of gospel it's not the church of our fathers it's not the, the gospel of our fathers it's really not it's really not jesus said no man is greater no no student is greater than his teacher so if they hated me they will hate you too <laughs> so if they are if they are not hating you you have found a wisdom that even jesus did not have <laughs> that's the meaning and that's what paul is saying that this is our experience as apostles how then oh corinthian church can you not relate <laughs> how then you and your teachers how are you so how are you so elevated on such a status that we is it that you people know how to teach the gospel better than we <laughs> is it that they are doing something that we as apostles we don't know that we've not learned so maybe we should come and learn from you guys how to teach and preach and advance christianity without suffering let's come and learn right so he's actually mocking them he's teasing them he's being sarcastic that somewhere along the line they have settled into a form of christianity 
that seems to celebrate wisdom, seems to celebrate um, success and and worldly respect, but one way or the other has evaded the hatred of the world. How did they do it? It will be that one somehow, somehow, they are mixing with the world. Somehow, somehow, their standards are not super clear. Because if the world knows for sure that you are not on its side, the world will hate you. We see it today. You don't even have to be a Christian for the world to hate you. Just speak out against certain things that have become socially acceptable. Over the week, I and a few friends of mine, we did a small YouTube talk on cancel culture, right? Just, just speak out. Like, literally, just go on Twitter and speak your mind. And you will see the backlash. In fact, the more popular you are, the, the, the harder it is. And every Christian, every believer who wants to do ministry, who wants to do Christianity God's way, should realize that the way the world is going, if you are going to stand for the ideals of Christianity, you will be hated by the world. If I find a Christian that doesn't cannot relate with that experience, kind of like what Paul was saying for the Corinthian church, I'll have to ask, are you truly boldly Christian? You might be Christian, but maybe you are, maybe you did disguise. Um, around your friends and co-workers, those issues never come up, or even when they do, you're just silent. On your social media or wherever, wherever, right? You never make your, your stance in the gospel known. And so maybe that's why you've been able to evade confrontation for this long. But even that is a very problem. That's not healthy Christianity. That's not healthy Christianity. Right? And that's what Paul is saying. So on one hand, I want you to take out time to reflect on the experiences of the apostles. We've talked about it at length in James 1. We've talked about it at length in Hebrews 12. Right? Um, the Bible's theology on Christian suffering. I've talked at length on this topic. So a lot of you that have been here should already know where I stand on this. But I'm saying this again for people that might be listening for the first time. We, 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 we desire to, to operate with the same kind of radical impact the world, the, the early church did. The reason they were that radical, or the reason they could have such an impact is because they were that different. They were that different. The world will not bother about a church that is just like it. It will not really care. But if the church should stand in truth and in power for what it truly believes, we would see impact but we're going to see a lot of backlash. We're going to see a lot of backlash, whether collectively or individually. So ready your heart. Don't, don't ever in your life be like the Corinthians and think you can have it all. The praise of the world and the approval of God. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's really not possible. And so you might go for the approval of the world and then like the Corinthians, you can start to say, oh, we have everything we need. You know, we are already rich. We are wise in Christ. We are reigning even in this life. But you will be in a camp where no other serious-minded Christian belongs. And just like Paul will be like, huh? how are we suffering and you guys are enjoying? What are, is it that you are getting? Of course, you're not getting anything right because that didn't happen to Christ. This is not a pattern we see. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. That old Corinthian church, how did you somehow get to this point 
where the world hates us, persecutes us. It was even worse then. Maybe now you can even still to an extent, you can still get away with a few. But imagine the early church. How can it be that the apostles are going through such horrific experiences city after city and the church cannot relate? That means the church is not, is, is, is not identifying with the apostles. And of course, it's the church that is wrong. So Paul is like, how is it that we are, we are being beaten, we are being flogged, we are being driven out of cities, we are being arrested, some of us are being killed, and you guys just have it all good. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that um, I'm not writing, right? I'm not writing these things to shame you. Verse 14, back to the NLM, NKJV. I don't even think I spent any, I, I barely read the NLT. But uh, it says, I don't write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So reading this in context, is Paul saying uh, it's not good to have teachers? No. Reading it in context, we can tell who these 10,000 instructors are. Many of them are even false teachers. They are projecting an image of Christianity that appeals to human praise and wisdom. Those were the teachers that the people in Corinth had, right? People that will be respected for their eloquence and philosophy. Remember from chapter one, we've been talking about this, right? How human wisdom will never reveal the wisdom of God. And he's saying that though you might have 10,000 instructors, you don't have many fathers. He says, I was the one that be- I, I, I led you to Christ. Remember the last chapter, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Let everyone be careful what they build on top of that. It must be on Jesus. And so he's saying that, yes, you can have many teachers, right? It says, however, I was the one that founded you in the faith. And so, imitate my life. Wherever the practice, don't forget these people did not have a Bible. I think sometimes we we forget. These people, all they had was the words, the explanations, and the life of those that taught them. Right? That's how they learned Christianity. Through listening and observation. That was all. And so, Paul is saying at any point in time, if any of your teachers, their lifestyle and the results are different from my own life, my experiences, choose me instead. Because why? I'm the one that laid the foundation. I'm the one that laid the foundation. I'm the one that led you to Christ. And so if you have teachers whose experiences are projecting an image of Christianity that doesn't look like how mine was presented, It says what? I'm begging you, imitate me. And when it says imitate me, it means with all that is happening to me, embrace my sufferings as your own, right? Realize that if you are truly to stay in the gospel, if you are truly to follow me, this experience, this science shall follow you. That This is the real, this science shall follow you. In my name, they will flog you. (laughs) They They will ridicule you. They will hate you. All right, it says, I urge you, imitate me. So imitating Paul is not just ah, Paul cast out demon, me too, cast out demon. Paul, I know. Ah, um, Daniel, they must know. 
Imitating Paul is not just ah, Paul abounded in revelation. Or me too, I will I would abound in revelation knowledge. Imitating Paul also means Paul was hated. I will be hated. <laughs> that's that's how to imitate. Imitating Paul means Paul was constantly fighting, or the world was constantly fighting Paul and his message. It means the world will constantly fight me and my message. Because if you think about it, the world hasn't changed 2,000 years till now. And so if our Christian experience is different, it's not the world's, it's not the world that has changed. It's the church that has changed. Think about that. He says, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and what? Faithful. Remember what we just said about ministry. He's my faithful son. So this one, at least I can testify. This one is following his father in everything. <laughs> this is my beloved and faithful son who will remind you of my ways in Christ. He will remind you again what it means to be Christian. Sufferings and all. Of course. Um, um, sorry, give me a second. Yes. Who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. I like that word, my way in Christ. Let me, let me open it. Um, in, the, in the Greek is the word, it means a road, right? It's like my journey, literally. So how I've walked through Christianity, the way I do so, the path I'm treading, he will remind you that path, that no, this one, this one is dead end. This one, no. This one roundabout. <laughs> U-turn. It says, no. I'll, he will remind you of my way in Christ. It says, now, some are puffed up. As if I was not coming. Right? It says, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Again, and we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians as well. Some of these teachers even went as far as undermining Paul's authority. Ah, don't mind Paul. He's, he just knows how to write, write, write big, big words. If he comes now, he'll be he's like, he's, all these Twitter people, they can insult you on social media. But if they see you face to face, they won't open their mouth to say anything. So, so people are like, ah, I beg, ignore Paul. And he says, I will indeed come. And when I come, I will not just know the vain words and all oh, these people know how to take this. I would know the power. But that it doesn't just mean that oh, they will do power competition where Paul will turn um, sap, um, staff to snake. Them to they will turn their own or Paul will raise one dead. Them to they will raise one. No, that's not what he's talking about. Of course, that, that can't be what he's talking about. He's simply saying that we would see who truly has God's approval. Who would, we would see whose ministry Remember that these teachers that have the world's approval and appeal to human wisdom, there is no power of God. I've explained what the demonstration of spirit and power was in chapter 2. Remember that, right? And so he's saying, I will come and we will truly see through the outcome of their life and ministry, through the effect. Of course, signs and wonders will be a part of, of genuine Christian ministry. So it's not excluded from this. But more so, he's talking about the spirits. I would really see if God is at work through these people. Through the outcome of their ministry and through authority. Right? I'm going to talk about that next week. Just, just 
keep that aside. We will truly know if these teachers of yours are called by God or not. It is for the kingdom of God is not in mere words. And mere words doesn't mean what I've been doing since nine o'clock today is not mere words. In case that's what you are thinking. Because a lot of times people now say, it's not just by the teaching. <laughs> and they try to downplay teaching using this verse. Saying that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Right? Anybody that says that shows that they need the word of God. <laughs> because they can't, they've not, they're not interpreting it correctly. Right? When it says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The word there clearly refers to mere speaking by false teachers or people that clearly are just appealing to you. It's not in philosophies. We've looked at this in context. It's not just in philosophies. It's not in empty speaking. But it's through the Spirit of God to transform the lives of everyone who hears it. Right? The kingdom of God is not an empty philosophy. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that is regulated by the power of God. Again, like I said, it doesn't exclude signs and wonders. But this is not talking about sound doctrine versus power. That is not about just teaching. But you must show power. So that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is simply comparing, right, a form of Christianity that, yes, while might, might boast of worldly acclaim, worldly appeal, and everything is good, but there is no evidence of the power of God to change lives, to, to get people saved, to heal if that's what is needed. Whereas what we've been called to, while yes, we might, we might constantly battle with the world, but the, the Christianity we've been called to in its message, in its propagation, we see the spirit of God at work through the believers, through the message, and yes, in the confirmation of the message. Amen. So he then says, what do you want? Should I come to you with a rod? Meaning, I like it sounds like a Nigerian parent. <laughs> Should I come to you with a rod or in love and in a spirit of gentleness? Choose your choose, right? Should I come needing to correct you people, needing to exercise spiritual authority? Or should I come in love and meekness? So here, Paul is clearly not happy, right? With what he said, he, he's like, what, what are these people doing? Not only are they camping around teachers, but even the very standard they are using to camp around teachers is it's, it's, it's based in human wisdom. It's in a way that such that if they go on that way, they wouldn't even identify as a true church of God anymore because the church that they will be will be nothing close to the true church of God, the experiences of the apostles. And he's saying, I will come and I, would add, I will put these teachers in their place not only that i would have to discipline you guys as well right i'll have to set things straight when i come and so we're going to pause we're going to end here right but i hope everything we've talked about makes sense again if this is your first teaching it might not make as much sense unless you've been listening since part one but the very idea here is that paul is number one reminding them to be careful in their evaluation of, of ministry gifts. But not only that, to remind them that ultimately, the true church of God, if you truly value what the apostles have valued, if you truly stand by what Christianity really is, 
then your experiences should be the same. And finally, he tells them, imitate me, such that at whatever point, any teacher, any any of your leaders, their life and their conduct and their experiences differ from mine. It says, remember that I am your father. And so my, my own authority is higher than theirs, at least in your spiritual experience. And then he goes on to say that, first of all, I will come and I will deal with these teachers that think that I can only talk and I have nothing else to say. Not only that, I would have to come put you guys in your place. So please make some adjustments before. I, it's like your parents tell you, better lead, arrange the house before I come or else, <laughs> or else. That's exactly what he's doing here. So um, yeah, we see the heart of, of a father that loves the church is aware that the church is misbehaving in a way that is very, very dangerous. And he's being very, very strict with them, at least in writing, hoping that they will change so that he will not have to be strict in person. So that is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Hope it makes sense. Um, thumbs up if it makes sense. And right now, um, feel free to ask any questions and then we'll call it a day. Yeah, awesome. Thumbs up. Good. I didn't say any thumbs up today. That was, that was bad of me, but I'm glad it makes sense. I'm glad it makes sense. All right. So questions, questions, um, questions, questions. Thank you. I have a question. No question. Well, yes, question regardless. Um, so we're done with division, right? As the issue Paul, Paul was addressing, right? Yeah. Cool. So going back to the table that you told us to create. Yeah. Do you mind just summarizing that? So issue Paul addressed division yeah. due to spiritually maturity, theological perspective. He said all of that practical application. I don't think you expressly said it, but of course we should get it from all that you said. Yeah. Just asking if you just want to. Sure, sure, sure. So, and thanks for asking. Um, For those who might not, did not really get what she's asking. I said that all through first Corinthians, you can put a table in your in your Bible study notes by the side where divide the table into issues, theological perspective, practical application. So for every issue in the Corinthian church, Paul gives a theological perspective to why it is an issue and where the solution would lie and then a practical application. And so the issue was division. The theological perspective was, and it's going to be... so. I, I would leave this for you to fill it out as I have said, but I will give you a few summary points on what I've talked about. What would be the theological perspective to these divisions in the church? We started from um, chapter two. Number one, human wisdom can never reveal God. That's a theological perspective because that's one of the reasons they were divided. Number two, um, ministry gifts are gifts from God to the body. I see your hand, Mary. I'll get to that are gifts from God to the body. And so they should be seen as gifts. That's another theological perspective. Number three, only God can judge the minister because only God sees the heart. Those are theological perspectives. What would be a practical application, right? A practical application would be, and Paul says it, don't judge beyond what is written. A practical application would be imitate the father. Right, imitate Paul. A practical application for the ministers would be what? Let everyone take heed 
what kind of building they build, right? So those are practical applications of of all he has said. So, I mean, I would leave this for you to pretty much fill out as we talk, but just remember that all we are doing is structured around that. So I've said a lot from the theological perspective and because Paul said a lot, right, about the unity of the church, about how God evaluates ministers. We talked a lot about the theological perspective last week when we said each one's work would be tested, all those kind of things. The practical application will be because you know these things to be true now, how would it inform your knowledge? So as a member, I will be very careful in the way I evaluate ministry gifts. Not only that, I realize that God's standards are not mine. And so that's the standard I use. Not only that, I realize that they are all gifts. Remember 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5, as the Lord gives to each one. Um, not only that, I realize that I have to, um, to keep to the standard of my father. And at whatever point the practice and the experiences differ, I choose Paul over them, things like that. That would be the practical application of what he said. Hope that answers your question. So everyone's table might be slightly different, but it, was, it should still emphasize the same things. Awesome. Um, you're welcome. All right, Mary Carmen. Hi, I'm new here. Um, I was, I was going to, to yeah, I was going to um, call you out at the end, but yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining. Please go ahead. Yeah, well, so um, I would say I'm pra- practically a new Christian. I recently came back into my faith a while ago after a crazy turn of events, and I was invited by my great, good friend, Christina. Oh, wow. But this is a question that I have for you. Like, um, how do you feel connected to God? Because right now I feel like like I've been apathetic to the spiritual, like to God, and I don't know where to find myself again because the way that I was practicing Christianity back then was really super religious and into spirituality. Mm to the form where like I would focus more on the the movement of the spirit rather than the actual fundamentals of Mm. following Christ Mm. and so right now I'm having a hard time connecting with God because I was so focused on the spiritual realm rather than the the core values of what it is to be a Christ follower yeah what it is to be biblical like sound biblical sound so how do you feel connected how did and this is a question for all of you guys like where do you guys in your journey felt more connected to god yeah first of all um thank you for asking i was going to um like reach out after i i after i ended but um thank you for for asking thank you christina for inviting and thank you for sticking around this long because it's not often that if you're new to the faith, this is what you're hearing. If you came in Galatians, maybe that would be a lot more fun. <laughs> but thank you for, for staying. And I hope you had a good time. Um, what I would do to that question is I will probably pray, first of all, and like wrap things up with First Corinthians 4. And thank you for going ahead to ask, even though it's not, yeah, I, I'm very grateful. And then we'll get into that question such that anyone who wants to stay back and maybe also give a few, um, share a few thoughts, right? And we can just have a few, um, we can just talk. So it to be unofficial, but then I really want us to, I really want to take my time with your question. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. Does anyone have any other question before we wrap it up and then get into Mary Carmen's question? <clears throat> All right. Seems like, we don't have any questions. 
Awesome. 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 Thank God I ended before time today. <laughs> All right. So let's pray and then we get right into it. Our Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the fact that we can gather here, even the technology that allows us to do so at a time like this to sit and learn, to grow and to have our thoughts, our words, our minds renewed in your word. I thank you for what we've learned today from even more conversations around faithfulness and stewardship, even to the reality of Christianity and, and that challenge of what we identify with. And I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, whether now or listening to this at their own convenience. I, I pray that, first of all, the grace to live our lives as stewards, to realize that all we have is a gift from you. And we should live as such, whether it's in our health, our physical bodies, whether it's in our time, whether it's in our resources, our financial resources or whatnot. And even in ministry, help us to live as stewards. Help us to be faithful to the one who called us, even when we don't feel like it. I pray that even in our Christian experiences, help us to identify with you. Whatever that would mean in today's society, help us to identify with you. Help us to identify with you. Help us to not shrink back because of confront the fear of confrontation. Help us to not hide because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be insulted. We don't want to be attacked. That like Paul say, like Paul said, we'll be able to, that we may know the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, the fellowship of your sufferings. Give us boldness to stand as the church of God, even in this time in the world. And I pray, I pray for every single one of us that we would stand before you at the end of our lives. And indeed, our testimony will be well done, thou good and faithful servant. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Um, let's take our benediction graciously supplied to us by Buki and Abdul. <laughs> Buki and Ayo. <laughs> Buki and Ayo. Wow, I've never said that before. Buki and Ayo. And then, um, <laughs> and then we get to the questions. All right, so let me share my screen. As always, um, remember to share um, with people that need to hear it, right? People are here because people have shared. And thank you for everyone that has shared this with other people. Share with your family, your friends, anyone that needs to grow in the word of God. Please share with them. Um, yeah. And I will share now. All right. So let's unmute yourselves. Let's take our benediction. And then we head right into the question of the day. Are we ready? One to go i am a diligent student and doer of the word i'm a teacher of the word the word is profitable for my growth by the word by the word and in the word my spirit rejoices glory to god
awesome thank you guys for your time it's always a pleasure um i will see you next week same time same zoom link um all right recording officially over um sorry Sorry, I have a question about the uh, chapter. Should I just wait till next week since we already closed? Or um, sorry, two hmm. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Go ahead to ask it. Go ahead to ask it. We'll use this okay. as a bonus round. <laughs> okay. Um. So my question. Let me just find the verse. It's on imitate. Like Paul saying, imitate me. Um, and I guess like the context that we shared was he led them to Christ. He's their father, right? Yeah. Um, so is this a verse that we should be thinking of applying in our lives today? And what does that look like? Like, especially like, would it look like whoever led you to Christ, like imitating their life? Or would it look like, um, like you shared earlier, looking at the apostles and how they lived and their Christian experience, um, especially if you... I guess in, in our society, like there's many ways to become a Christian without like a particular person. Yeah. Very, very good question. Very good question. I should have touched on it, but it skipped my mind. But thank you for bringing it up. So, um, again, I think you already kind of alluded to the answer. In context, Paul is, the reason Paul is able to say imitate me is because he knows where he stands, Right. This does not mean that you should imitate anyone who led you to Christ because they are somehow your father and they begot you in the gospel. <laughs> that might not practically play out well for you <laughs> in today's world. <laughs> but um, um, two things. Number one, fortunately for the early church then, many times if an apostle, like the apostles, Paul is an apostle, right? So he's not just speaking as some random dude. He's an apostle sent by God to establish the gospel in different parts of the world. And so if Peter starts a church, Peter can boldly say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. All right, Paul can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, so what, what will be a good guideline is that fortunately you have the word of God, right? You have scriptures. And while yes, we can and should draw from the examples of spiritual leaders it's, it is within the confines of how well are they also mirroring the life of Christ. And so if Jesus says, be humble and your pastor is humble, your pastor becomes a physical example of how you can be more humble, right? In that sense, he can say, imitate me, right? If Christ says this, if Christ says, love your neighbor as yourself and the person that led you to faith has anger issues, please, don't imitate them, <laughs> right? Um, so good, very good question. Um, on one hand, Paul can say this because of where he stands in relation to Christ. This is not the only place he has um, said that word, imitate me. Um, in um, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul can say that. Timothy, right, can say if Tim Timothy as the pastor of Ephesus can say, imitate me. Or Paul will say, you know my ways, you know my life, follow me, right? Never place any man above the word. That, that's what he says. You might not think in us beyond 
what is written. Again, one of the things was that, like I said, these people did not even have a physical, there was no Bible in their houses. They would literally gather and then the educated leaders among them or the people that could read and, and were spiritual leaders in that congregation will read scripture and explain it to them. So all they had in mind was what was taught and what they discussed together. And so it makes more sense that many of their Christian behavior would be through imitation. We have the word of God. And so in that sense, even through reading some of Paul's texts, we can imitate even Paul today. Because for instance, when we look at the labels of the apostles, we can say, okay, this is what Paul went through. I can imitate Paul. I can imitate my pastor, right? So anyone who sets a good example is not even just them. Paul says, recognize those who have followed after the pattern, <coughs> the pattern of Christ, right? Anyone around you, anybody you look up to, any Christian, it could even just be, oh, your friend was the one that led you, that invited you to a good church and you've just been growing. And there are good things in your friend that you see. Let's say they pray every day, they read their Bibles. Imitate that, right? Imitate that. Having that physical physical example to draw off is very, very helpful. So um, this, is not, <clears throat> this is not a blanket statement to say, copy whoever led you to Christ. In fact, many times the person that led you to the faith might not even be as doctrinally sound as you will eventually get to. I'm as you would eventually get to, right? You might grow in your study of the word of God and find out that there are things that they believe that you probably don't believe. Of course, you're not going to say, oh, because you're my father, or rather because you're the one that led me to Christ, I will believe whatever you believe to be doctrinally true. No, it's not a blanket statement. It was very contextual because Paul was the one that led them to Christ, discipled them. He's an apostle. And so from all indications, he got it right, right? So he can say, imitate me. Today for us, it would simply apply to anyone whose life reflects the pattern of Christianity seen in scripture. So yeah, thank you for asking. Very, 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 very important. So that, because people can use this to abuse spiritual authority. So I'm very glad you asked. 